Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Hello, everyone. We have a special episode for you today. The following recording is part of a class taught to members of the Worth program by women who are working their own recovery. It's edited to keep the class participants' information private, but we wanted to make it available to you to give you some insight on what's available at Worth. We hope you enjoy. Um, For those who don't know Luke and I, um, we have been working as program directors with Life Changing Services. Um, I've been in here for Worth for about 10 months, but working with the company for about four years. And Luke, how long have you been the program director for Men and Moroni? Um, probably like three. Three years, yeah. Lose track of time. Yeah, might be four, coming up four. Anyway, doesn't matter. We, um, we love the work that we do. We've been through this journey of betrayal and trauma and healing and disclosures and everything else. And so, um, this is a question that's been popping up lately with individual sessions that I've been having as people asking questions around disclosures. And so I thought this would be a really good topic that we could just talk about, put information out there about. But before we even start it, I want to put like this massive disclaimer, okay? So when it comes to disclosures, I will give a formula, but this formula is not for everybody. Every single person's situation is different. Every individual is different. And so it really is up to you and the spirit, what you want and what you need. So take today what applies, take what doesn't apply, let the spirit work with you. Some women absolutely want disclosures. Some women do not want disclosure. So I guess we should start with what is a disclosure? So a disclosure is basically any new information we get. So when we're going through betrayal trauma, a lot of times we get disclosures that we don't want. Um, We get disclosures by stumbling upon it. We get disclosures by them coming forward with it. So we call these, um, some people call D-Day, Disclosure Day, Destruction Day, Demolition Day. So what we're talking about today is a formal therapeutic disclosure. So a formal therapeutic disclosure is a disclosure done with the help of a therapist to make sure that the disclosure process can be as healing and helpful as possible. There was a study, and I should have grabbed it, but I didn't think of it till now, but there was a study that Dr. Skinner puts in his, in his book. Does anyone know the name of his book off the top of their heads? It's not coming to me. But in Dr. Skinner's book on betrayal trauma, he said that um, – the percentage of people who feel like disclosure was good after the disclosure is done. I think it was 98% of women felt like it was a good idea and a total of 97% of men. And those numbers before, and I'm just throwing these numbers out, but I'm, I know we're, we're really close in the ballpark. So if I'm a percent or two off, please don't hate me. 
But I think that women started beforehand around like 80% and men were like 60% of thinking it was a good idea. The disclosure process has been shown to be helpful, to be beneficial for the majority of people. But each person like going into the disclosure is going to have very different ideas in their head of what it should look like, what they want out of it, why they're doing it. So I wanted Luke here because I think that you could give some good insights, Luke. When you're working with a lot of addicts or you yourself, like what were some of the things going through your head before disclosing everything? Um, I was scared to death. Um, my, my therapist, he said, we're going to do a disclosure and we're also going to do a, a, oh, the lie detector test. There's the fancier word for it than that. Um, polygraph. And the polygraph. Thank you. And he said, we're going to do both. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Like I don't have anything to hide, but I don't trust myself that if I get put through a polygraph that I'll that my brain will actually read it the right way. And I was like, I don't mind the disclosure because I've already threw up all this information on my wife and told her stuff. What I've heard other guys say is, is um, somewhere between on one extreme, which is I can't tell her what I'm telling you because if I tell her my marriage will be over to the other end, what's the point of doing a disclosure? Cause she already knows everything, you know? Um, and some of those wives are saying, uh, I don't trust that you know everything that you've told everything or, you know, I want, I want help in understanding what's, what's going on. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. So possible like things that we would hear men say is like, I've told her everything. Why would I put her through more pain? I don't see how this could help. Uh, some men are like the pain is in the past. Let's, or not the pain is in the past, but my, those things happened in the past. Let's just leave them in the past and move forward. Um, and if you're like getting super triggered, even hearing this list, I get it because some of these things you're like, are you kidding me? But these are some, some things that do come up for men. Another thing that comes up, sorry to interrupt you, is, is yeah. why did you want to keep talking about something that we've already talked about before? You know, that's, that's the reoccurring theme. Yeah. So possible takes for the woman. And I'm saying woman and man, but this can go the opposite way um, too. If the betrayal happened the other way. But possible takes for the woman is she might think like, this sounds traumatic. Why would I want to hear all of this again? Or I want to know if there's anything he's not telling me. Someone said the other day, and I thought this was so insightful. She said, I want to know what I'm forgiving. She said, I'm working to forgiving him, but I want to know what I'm actually forgiving. I want to trust him again so I know where he has been and I, and I know where we're headed. Another thing I hear often is I want to see him show that he's willing to do the hard things for our marriage. He's willing to do that work. And I want to move forward and heal. And I hear that this will help me heal. So one thing um, that I recommend with all of this, and, and we'll go into all of this a little bit later, but I don't want to. But one big thing is there is a difference between details and game changers. So game changers are the important information that you do need to know, like who it involved and um, when it was happening. And... Um, I'll go into all the game changers later, but basically they're the big pieces of information. So absolutely, you need to know all the game changers. Details are more of like, well, what color of hair? What specific 
act? How did you do it? And all these little details, I will tell you that you can't unhear. So there is a part of us, and not everybody's this way, but I was this way, that I wanted to know every single little detail. And someone close to me who had gone through this said, you know what? Don't do it because you can't unhear it. You can't unsee it. Just, just don't do it. And I didn't listen. And so I had asked questions and my husband was in the place of, I'm going to just be radically honest and transparent. And I heard things that, that I can't unrace. And, and I learned quickly that that wasn't helpful for me. And I learned quickly to, when I started going there and I could feel myself going down this rabbit hole going, Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't answer that. <sighs> okay. I need to recenter and then I'll come back with what my questions are. But here's the thing. Maurice teaches this concept and I, and I a hundred percent agree that you, we as women, we ultimately, we get to choose what we know and what we don't know. Okay. So if we ask for too much information and we get it, then that's, that's on us that we asked for the too much information that we received it. But we also have tools that we can work through that and that we can then process it and do whatever we want with it. So ultimately we get to decide for ourselves what we want to hear and how much we want to hear. That's not up to anyone else. That's up to you. That's not even up to your therapist. That's not up to your husband. You get to have the power on what you want to hear, what you need to hear. And this disclosure process is not like a one and done either. So if you sit down, you do a formal therapeutic disclosure, you provide questions that you want answered, and during it, you get to ask some questions, and then everything's closed up nice and pretty, and we finish the disclosure. That does not mean if you have more questions in a week that you have to stop asking them, or five years down the road. Like if all of a sudden I think of something and I go, oh my goodness, like did this happen? I can still to this day go to Luke and say, uh, Luke, I thought of something. Can you talk to me about this? So healing does not have a timeline and our memories and our brains sometimes aren't ready for certain information. So even I'll be ready for something later in my recovery that I'll think of and that I'll want to know that maybe in the beginning didn't cross my mind or I wasn't ready to go there. As we talk about this process, and I, I, I've said this, but it's so individualized. So really try to be in tune with God and figure out what is going to be right for you. With the polygraph, that one is, it's, it's hit and miss on whether therapists use it. And for a couple of different reasons. Um, one reason is, is it's really expensive. Um, it's about $450 on average to do a polygraph. Now, I'm not saying don't do it, but um, once you do your disclosure, and usually you have a few therapists involved in a couple of hours, um, that's usually going to be close to $400. And then once you're adding in that, you're getting close to like $1,000 for a full disclosure. So some people don't do it for the financial reasons. Other people don't do it because they get to a place where they start feeling like they can read their husband and feel what is truth and what is not truth as he's saying it. So as they're listening to the disclosure, they're, they're just sitting back and they're going like, okay, 
is this true? Is this not true? What do I feel? Do I feel like this is truth? And for, for some, that's enough. For others, they want that polygraph because, and if you do the polygraph, it's recommended doing it immediately after the disclosure. So you go from one to the other within a few hours. And a lot of times the polygraph will cover the same questions that were covered in the disclosure. So I'm not for or against polygraphs. I say that's 100% on people's personal preference. Um, a lot of people like polygraphs because they feel like they have that extra sense of it helps them feel good. Others, because a lot of men who are in addictions have spent years becoming professional manipulators, they're still afraid that they'll manipulate even that test, which technically can be done, but honestly is not all that likely. It's just an on the fence thing with the polygraphs, but not for them, not against them. That one, you just kind of have to really pray about it and decide what's right for you. That kind of goes along with the question in the chat of how will I ever know for sure if it's a full disclosure? I don't believe him. I, I a hundred percent get why you asked that question. And I'm going to give you an answer that you're probably going to hate me for. And you probably won't actually hate me for, but I'll give you an answer that's not fun to hear is you don't know. Like I've, I've heard couples go through disclosure and it was a key turning point and they moved forward. And now that everything was out, they could heal and they could work together. I've seen some men go through and it comes out after the disclosure, he was still lying. I would hope that he would not spend his time, money, energy, and all of that to deceive you further. But if he does, that is a very good piece of information on where he is at and the state of, of his sobriety and in turn, probably the state of your marriage. Probably don't need to point this out, but that this whole concept is, is kind of what the polygraph is for. The, the disclosure is just for a chance for the betrayed to go through and take a lot of information and to sit back and go, what's going on? You know, what do I do next? It's not to feel all of a sudden 100% confident, you know, about everything. You know, yeah. and a piece on that too, I wanted to mention was, um, for me, I didn't like that fact of a full disclosure. I was ready to do it, willing to do it, did not want to do it. But the one thing that I found comforting is, is Alana asking a lot of questions that I didn't want to answer. And some of them feeling like I probably shouldn't answer because she can't unhear that stuff. Most of it was self-protection was that it made me, it gave me a lot of peace knowing that somebody had, a professional was saying, hey Luke, go ahead and answer that one. Hey Luke, probably not the best one to answer. You know, and, and she had a therapist going, okay, yeah, that's probably not a good thing for you to ask. Yeah, that's a good thing to ask. That was really comforting to me. Cause I'm like, okay, here's the deal. I'm willing to tell everything, but I got a professional guiding this. Okay, I feel a lot better about that. Yeah, and and the, the point of the full disclosure, well, I. So I'll just read a couple of things. I hate reading to you, but this is put really well. And when I, I'm going to put this outline on the Google Docs and it will have the source on there. Um, but the full disclosure, um, we do it because it provides a foundation to begin the process of repairing the damage done to the relationship and to rebuild trust. So it really is like, we're going to get everything out there and we're going to start at zero. And now we're going to start little brick by brick to start to rebuild the trust. So that's the main point of it, but it also, it helps the addict reclaim their long lost integrity. 
Oh, and he, the, he also references the study. In one study, 96% of sex addicts felt that the disclosure was the right course of treatment for them. They discovered this process helped them dismantle a major dysfunctional core belief, which Patrick Carnes explained, no one would love me as I am. So addicts have four faulty core beliefs. And one of those beliefs is if they knew, if they really knew me, they wouldn't love me. And so doing the disclosure is they're really putting themselves out there. They're saying, this is me. This is the things I've done. And it, it helps them all of a sudden dismantle that faulty core belief, which keeps them tied into their addiction. For sex addicts, it is imperative to heal this belief. To be fully known and yet still fully loved goes a long way towards healing this core belief, a major goal of treatment. With the held sexual secrets, there is only a false front, only denial and little chance for healing. You have any thoughts on that one, Luke? I don't think so. Makes it sounds good. Makes sense. Okay. Um, next one is, and I'm going to read two more. So bear with me. The full disclosure can be an essential process of reclaiming a sense of personal empowerment. That's for you. In one study, over 90% of partners wanted to be told the truth because they were made to feel crazy, often referred to as gaslighting, during the course of the relationship. Many partners have suspicions about the sex addict's behavior long before it's actually admitted. For the partner, the sexual acting out deceit is felt yet unexplained. The partner questions their sanity as confusing and disorienting lies build upon lies. The sexual acting out is suspected but often carefully concealed by the addict, fulfilling the partner's mind with uncertainty and doubt. Restoring the partner's own sense of reality is an important outcome of the full disclosure. I don't know if anyone relates to that, but I really loved that one. I loved that it restores your sense of reality. Um, and then the last one, the full disclosure is a question of ethics. As human beings, we are all entitled to certain rights. Among these rights is the right to a relationship, choice and freedom from exploitation in the relationship. Now hear me out on this because at first I was like, I'm not sure what you're talking about. But and, and think of this as I'm talking about it in relationship to God gives us the gift of choice and accountability, right? He gives us the choice to choose and how important that choice is. So informed consent is a concept which entitles each person to all information which bears upon their well-being, including informed choice to continue in a relationship. This is a fundamental individual right. Keeping someone in a relationship under false pretenses represents exploitation. Every partner is ethically entitled to relationship relevant information and the freedom to make decisions based on this information. Relationship decisions are justly made by both adult partners. If the sex addict keeps secrets in order to maintain the relationship, control is unjustly seized by the addict. A paternalistic abuse of power. Um, so has anyone thought about that before? Is that something that's crossed your mind with the addiction that when they hold those lies and they hold that secrecy, they literally are taking away your choice to choose. They're taking away your choice to choose whether to be in that marriage or not, because you don't have the full, full information. So I don't know if that struck you, but for me, like one of my big core beliefs or big core, um, values that's really important to me is my freedom, my personal freedom. And so when I had this aha that all those years, in a sense, he was taking away that freedom, I was so mad 
the full disclosure as everything comes out allows you then to make the choice of whether you choose knowing everything if you want to stay in the marriage and then if you want to move forward and heal. So there, there is another question. Would it be a valid question to ask my husband in the polygraph whether he loved the affair partner? Can a polygraph test that issue if my husband and I see love differently? Is there a way of drafting the question so that I get the answer to the question that I'm truly asking? Um, so a couple things with that. The answer simply is yes. You can absolutely ask that. I would want to ask that. I would want to know that. Me personally, that would be very important to me. That being said, before you ask anything, always do some processing on what, what am I looking for? Why do I want to know this? What will I do if I get these different answers? How will I process that? How will that change things? Just do some processing around that. And once you do all of your processing and you go, yeah, that's something I still want to know, then by all means, I think that's a very valid question. Now, asking it in a certain way to get the answer you want, no matter how we try to change our wording or say it the perfect way, it will always go through their filter. And so um, there's no perfect way to word it. But when you work with a, someone who does polygraphs, everything has to be a yes or no answer. And they will help you if you're asking a question that either won't make sense or won't give a clear reading, they will reroute you and say, actually, we need to do it a little differently. And you submit your questions to the, the polygrapher before you do the polygraph. So it's not like you show up and you're just asking questions on the spot. I'm 99% sure that you won't even be part of that. You're not there. It's just the polygrapher and the person getting the test that's in the room. He just has a list of questions that he reads through and he asks without any emotion, without any feeling, and just asks the questions. Hopefully that helps a little bit. Where he is today and how he sees love today is probably very different than where he saw love when he's in the middle of the addiction. And when they're in the middle of the addiction, I would even go as far to say this, they are not capable to love. Not love as it really is and not love as it's intended to be. They're, they're not capable of fully doing that because it's so skewed by shame and by the lies and by the deceit. And yes, the, the idea that sex equals love. So many addicts put those two exactly together. I will tell you, and we're going to have to, we haven't even got into like any of my outline yet. So we're gonna have to move faster. But I remember we're like five months into recovery. Luke's had sobriety this whole time. And he goes uh, it must have been like four months into recovery because we were still separated, but still like coming back together a little bit. But he calls me up and he's like, Lana, I just finished with my therapist. And okay, you're going to think this is stupid, but I think I'm a sex addict. <laughs> like, okay. But for him, that was like this mind blowing thing that like, I, I could actually like be addicted to like sex itself. And I think there were only three of us that smiled at that, by the way. <laughs> well, it, at the time, I was actually quite angry. I was like, like, are you kidding me? Like, you're just, and, and also it was like, you're four months in and you're just realizing this? Like, oh my goodness, we have like a lot of years to go. I moved at a slow speed, very mm -hmm. slow. And yeah, slow and slow. fast at the same time. It's really weird how it works, but he did, had to do a lot of unraveling and figure out that he absolutely, Luke, you can correct me if I'm incorrect, but absolutely equaled sex and love together. 
Yeah. 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 And it's, that's, that's the wiring of the brain, right? So physical affection's a big deal to me still is this day, you know, physical touch. And then I let that run wild with my addiction, you know, and, and that's the part of define love, right? We all have our own version of what love is, you know, sad, especially when you get the addict brain involved um, and what that can turn into. And I've heard some, I've heard some really, really interesting things on here. Like one therapist working with their, uh, their clients and, and he told her, he's like, he couldn't love you. He wasn't in a place to be able to love you. It wasn't in his capacity because of his choices. You know, and I don't know if that would have made anybody feel better, you know, or, or if that was just information and that was just news. Um, and I've had mixed feelings about that too, you know, just speaking from my own experience. And I don't know if this will be helpful or not, you know, did I love Alana? You know, did I, you know, and that kind of stuff. And that's, that's painful to think about even to this day, even as asking myself that question. Um, genuinely didn't want to leave their relationship, but also didn't want to leave my addiction. So it's just pure selfishness. Well, and when you're incapable of loving yourself, then it's makes it very hard to love other people. But what was interesting is Luke was always so adamant that he did love me. And I was adamant that he, despite all this, he did love me. And, and I do think that there were parts of him that did but the level at which he could love was definitely crippled. So, um, and also Luke, you said, you know, that's what your brain like had turned into, but the beautiful thing about recovery is the brains can be rewired. So all of this broken thinking through recovery, through working, through unraveling it with a therapist to uncovering all of this broken thinking, it can be changed, it can be fixed. So just really quick, times that we do not recommend a full disclosure. So one is if the partner is suffering from a terminal or serious illness. So if they're already in a place that um, they may not live that long, um, that there's not chance for healing after, after full disclosure, there's still, it's not you do this disclosure and then we're wonderful and we leave the office holding hands and life goes on and it's just beautiful from, from there. The full disclosure is a starting place of recovery. So if there's a terminal illness, we do not recommend it. We do not re recommend it if divorce is already pending in the relationship. Now, this does not mean like, I'm so done, I think I want a divorce, but pending meaning you're already meeting with um, lawyers and you're moving forward with the divorce process, then a full disclosure is not recommended. If there's potential for physical or emotional violence or abuse, so if abuse is going to be a repercussion of the disclosure, we do not recommend it. And the last is if the partner is suffering from a significant um, psych psychopathology, meaning like um, if they have schizophrenia or if they have a major disorder, probably wouldn't recommend a full disclosure. So um, I've broken it down into the before, the during, and the after. So just like what, what does it look like? How do you prepare? So with the disclosure, we recommend typically having it be a process that takes quite a bit of time to prepare for. And I'm talking months, um, depending on where each person is at. But this is not something that we just want to haphazardly throw together. We want to make sure that we are giving the addict time to really 
kind of search into their brain and work with a therapist and uncover things that they may have suppressed. Because when you spend years in the addiction, like nobody wants to think about and carry around all of that muck. So they suppress it. They push it down. They push it down. They push it down. And I don't know how many of you have had trickle disclosures or the staggered disclosure where it comes out a little bit at a time. That's really painful to have that. And we don't want to have a rush disclosure. And then over the next few months, all of a sudden more things are being remembered and then we still are having disclosures, right? So the point is, is we want to, and sometimes this is hard for us to be patient, but we want to be patient for them to do the work so they can make sure that they're really thorough in their disclosure. Part of that is the therapist is working with the addict and a lot of times they'll go through a checklist and they'll just say, did you do this? 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 And it can go from one end of the spectrum to the complete other end. And they just want to make sure that we're not forgetting anything, that we're just covering everything. So they're working on that process. While they're working on that process over there, then the betrayed spouse is working on figuring out what they want to know. So coming up with some questions with their therapist that would be helpful for their healing and that they want to know. So they're working on those questions, which will be given to the other therapist before the disclosure happens. And, and I'm giving you just really quick, like ideal scenario, ideal scenario. He has a therapist. She has a therapist. The two therapists are working together. Okay. You can also do it with just one therapist. I don't recommend trying to do this all on your own. I would recommend therapists there and I'll explain a little bit more why later. But so she's preparing her questions and she's also working on her own, own emotional regulation. She's working on when she gets triggered, she's able to emotionally calm herself down. She's able to bring herself down. She's able to regulate because when we're doing the disclosure process and as things are discussed, naturally it's going to be triggering. And as you get flooded with chemicals, as you get triggered, your brain kind of shuts off, right? You're only now you're chemically altered and you're only working with so much. So this is why I recommend having your own therapist there because your therapist is watching you and they know you. And if they see you getting flooded, they can say, okay, you know what? Let's just take a quick little break and we'll come back. And then you can go take a walk around the building or you can go sit with your therapist in another room and you just recenter and you can with your therapist, bring yourself back down. So you're in a place to actually hear the disclosure. So you don't miss the whole disclosure because you're completely triggered. So, and it's the same thing for him for a man to come and be vulnerable and basically like lay it all out in front of you and say, this is all my ugliness. That's very difficult too. This is difficult for both sides of it. So he has his therapist who is also there to be a support to him. So each of you have that support. The day of, we come together, we're finally ready for the disclosure, and typically it's booked out for at least two hours. With those two hours, um, you can take as much or as little time. Some people have come in and they've finished their disclosure in 15 to 20 minutes, and they do a little processing and they're good to go. Other people take that full two hours and sometimes beyond that. So there's typically this big window saved for whatever you end up needing with the disclosure. But with the disclosure, I like to see it in three separate parts. A lot of times we do just this laundry list where it's like, 
blah, 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 blah. Here's all my stuff. And then we're done. And that does sound traumatic. I don't see, I don't see um, walking away from that without feeling a little sense of like, that was good. It would take a lot of processing to get there. Now, what I like to see is I like to see, here's the list of everything that you need to know. A period where you can ask questions, they can answer and you can go back and forth. Then the next part, so that was part one. Part two is an impact letter that they read to you. The impact letter is basically taking ownership of how their choices affected you. And it's apologizing for that. But really, it's less about apologizing and more about the impact. I gave an example to a guy that I was meeting with recently. And let's say you're on an airplane and there's a woman sitting in front of you and she's had a major surgery and it was on her elbow. And so she's got underneath her jacket, her elbows all bandaged up and she's kind of holding it in and she's kind of trying to protect it, but she's on the aisle seat and you have to get up and you have to go to the bathroom. And as you pass her, you accidentally, no matter how hard you try, you accidentally bump her and you don't know how much pain this is going to cost her. But all of a sudden she screams out and tears start rolling down her cheeks and you realize you've like really hurt her. And, and I asked this guy, I said, what would you do in that situation? And he said, oh my gosh, like I'd apologize and tell her I'm so sorry and see whatever I could do to make it better. And I said, I said, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably right. And I said, would it have helped if you kept saying, like, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to hurt you. Like, you should be okay because I didn't mean to hurt you. Like, that wouldn't even cross your mind. You would have been, you would have understood in that moment that it was all about the impact. You're, you're walking past her, whether you meant to hurt her or not, you're walking past her, hurt her incredibly bad. And that's where you put your focus. And I said, that's what we have to do with our spouse, with our wife is that if we focus on the intent of your choices, if we focus on the intent that you didn't mean to hurt her, you didn't think that this could have affected her, I said, you will never get to a place where you can hold her pain. You have to focus on the impact of your choices. So this impact letter helps them with the help of their therapist really start to understand the impact of their choices. So they write that impact letter. So that's part two. Part three. Iwana. Um, yeah. Can I interrupt you before you go to part three? Please. I have to run here in just a second. I wanted yeah. to offer some thoughts to everybody before I leave. Please. Um, so if you get through with this call and you're like, wow, this seems like something that I, I need, I want, um, I, I, there's a good chance, there's a possibility that if you told your husband, hey, I would like a full disclosure now, um, that he would have a lot of questions like why and some reservations. It's not your responsibility to convince him that and, and reason with him and make sure he feels good and understands why you want a full disclosure. Um, it's just similar to boundaries or whatever you want to call them, something you need to create safety for yourself. Um, so they, you can encourage him to see a therapist or somebody that understands full disclosures and the purpose of them because Alana never could have convinced me why a full disclosure was a good idea because she was the source of where my, sh no, she wasn't the source of my shame. Wow. That was horrible. She was, our conversations created so much shame for me. Right. And I couldn't have a logical conversation. So if you want to send people to 
send your husbands to people that can explain this and hopefully they can deal with their shame as they listen. Um, you can send them my way. You can, a lot of them will have a ton of resources. So just wanted to mention that before I left. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah. It was good to see you all. Thank you. Have a nice day. So common that men, it's the, the how and the why and the where the heck do I even start with this? It can be really daunting and really overwhelming. Um, so I would recommend having them. Luke does, he didn't say this, but he does online coaching. They can meet with him and he can talk with them about that. Or um, depending on where you're located, I do have resources for tons of different therapists. Or our worth therapists and our worth coaches talk to men often and explain it. Because when it's not coming from you, then they are not feeling the same amount of shame and sometimes they can hear a little better. All that being said, um, part three. So part one is your disclosure list. Part two is the impact letter. Part three is a safety plan for themselves. So this safety plan for themselves is their plan of these are the things and the ways that I'm going to create safety for myself which in turn creates safety for you. So things like what are their personal boundaries? How quickly will they disclose if they have a close call? How quickly will they disclose after a lost battle? What ways are they implementing new um, ways of thinking? What ways are they creating safety? Um, how are they rewiring their brain? Things like that where they're just laying out the safety plan. With the disclosure list, generally speaking, the disclosure list should include this. So this was part one, that laundry list. So it should include types of sexual acting out behaviors, approximate time frame of behaviors, approximate frequency of behaviors, approximate number of sexual partners. And that includes um, whether it's a virtual or in person, the date of last contact with any affair partners and or the last date engaged in behaviors approximate amount of money spent on behaviors or activities related to behaviors, including source and location of funds, names of acting out partners known by the partner of the sex addict. So if they, if you know somebody, then they give you that person's name. If you don't know the person, then there's no point in them giving you a name and ruining another name in your book. Health issues, like if they have any STDs and it, and I hate to say this, but if they have acted out sexually with anybody, you should be tested for STDs and they should be tested for STDs. Uh, legal issues, whether they are arrested, lawsuits, any children fathered by the sex addict with an affair partner. Incidences that may have directly or indirectly impacted the couple's children, including exposure to pornography, affair partners, or the sharing of photos with the affair partners or online. So like if they shared pictures of your kids with somebody. Brief sexual audio biography, optional, but may be particularly helpful in understanding the roots of the addiction and the progression. And that one, that one's kind of um, on the fence with because if they don't have a good therapist helping them work through this, we do not want them to turn into justifying the reasons for their addiction. So um but a brief sexual autobiography would just say, you know, this is, this is kind of what happened in early childhood. This is what led me to the addiction. And then here's my acting out behaviors. So they can add that in there. We just want to make sure that it's, there's no justification in there. So they should not include 
graphic details of sexual behaviors, name of affair partners not known by partner, locations of sexual acting out other than the couple's home or a property owned by the couple, addicts' thoughts or feelings about acting out partners, fantasies unless they directly impact the partner. Um, for example, sex addicts' chronic use of fantasy during sex with a partner or addicts' chronic inability to remain present in daily activities such as work, couples' relationship, or parenting due to fantasy. You go to the disclosure. You've now just heard all of this stuff. You've heard them admit and own and try to understand the impact of their choices. You've heard how they're going to create a safety plan. The therapists give you the opportunity to ask whatever questions you can have, you can think of in the time. A lot of times your brain is so muddled that you're thinking like, what do I ask? What do I ask? And if you have no questions, remember you've submitted some already ahead of time. But in that moment, if you have no questions, that's okay because this isn't a closed book. Typically, we recommend coming back to meeting with a therapist within 48 hours or about 48 hours after. So you have two, three days to process. And then during that time, if you have more questions, you can also be asking them at that point as well or anytime in the future. So you leave the office. You can do this a couple different ways, but I recommend both people having support people waiting for them in the waiting room. Somebody that you know that you trust who can just be there and will either not ask you questions if that's what you want, or they'll just listen to you if that's what you want, or there'll be fun entertainment, whatever it is that you think you might need. Or they're on standby where they know that if you just need to be alone, that they'll give you a hug and they'll leave. So having that support person there waiting for you. I do not recommend having any contact with your spouse, not phone calls, not text, not um, seeing them for a minimum of 24 hours. The reason I say this, and this is for both, is each person needs time to go get re-anchored to God. Each person needs time to sort through what happened and to figure out what they're thinking and where they stand. And sometimes we have this um, desire that all of a sudden, it could be multiple different ways, but all of a sudden they were vulnerable, we were vulnerable, and we're like, let's, let's, let's keep this going, let's connect. Or it could be like, oh my word, that was so much, like, I hate you. Like you could have many different reactions to it, but sometimes we'll have this desire of like, they're actually opening up. Let's, let's, let's keep this going. But this time apart is really essential. This time apart is where you go get anchored in yourself and get anchored in God. So get a hotel. Um, they can go get a hotel, however you want to do it. Ideally, I say for you to go get a hotel because it's going to be a whole lot more traumatizing for you. Um, and then you're not taking care of other responsibilities or taking care of kids. You're just doing whatever you need in that moment. You're taking that time to recenter, to process. After the 24 hours, then you can come back together and you can process it with them or you can wait until you both come back together with the therapist to then process. So all of that, like that right there, I say in a nutshell, but we just talked for an hour. That is kind of the nutshell of a full disclosure of what it can look like. But again, if you've shown up late, you're not required to have a full disclosure. 
what works for you may not fit into this little mold of what has been created. And so you get to decide for you what is right for you and what works for you. Based off of all of that, again, studies have shown that it is most partners who do a full disclosure feel like it was beneficial when it was over. Not in the moment that you walked out of the office, but usually they study them a few weeks later and they say, yeah, that was, that was a good thing that we did that. It gives the relationship this foundation of where you can start and you can build trust and you can move forward. A lot of couples after that will start couples therapy, but if you're doing a dis like if you've had D-Day a few weeks ago and you want a disclosure like fast and you do a disclosure two months later, you're probably not ready for couples immediately following the disclosure. So again, this is another area where you get to choose based off of where you're at with your own healing, what next steps to take after disclosure. So that will be really individualized. But one big question that comes up is how do I find someone who can help me do this process? I would highly encourage finding somebody who is specialized in sexual addictions. And when I say specialized, I don't mean just like, if you go to psychology today, lots of people say like, yeah, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. I mean somebody who actually is trained in doing it. So it's, there's a CSAT, Certified Sexual Addiction Therapist. Those um, can do it. Our worth therapists, none of them, including Maurice, are certified sexual addiction therapists. A lot of ther therapists don't do that training because it's about $20,000 and takes years to finish. It's pretty intense. But um, so if you find a CSAT, they've been fully trained or finding someone who really is their specialty is sexual addiction and vitriol trauma. And then they can help you through this process. And you can also interview therapists. You can say, do you do full disclosures? What does that look like? If you love your therapist and they're not trained in this, but you fully trust them, you can ask them, hey, this is what I want to do. This is how it's supposed to look. Can you do some research on this and see if this is something we could do together? Because um, once they have the type of outline for it, <clears throat> they're very capable of doing it as long as they fully understand trauma and um, vitriol trauma. Another question is, is what if my husband doesn't want a disclosure? Like if he's dragging his feet or he flat out says like, no, I'm not doing it. Well, first of all, that gives you really clear information on where he's at if he's flat out saying no. If he's dragging his feet, there could be a lot of different reasons. The number one reason is fear. It's not always that they're hiding something though, that definitely could be a reason. But sometimes there's the fear of like, will she still love me? Will our marriage survive this? Can I, can I hurt her more? So there are some real fears that come around it. Another part is a lot of men just don't know how to even start the process. It's like someone saying, if you have no idea on how to do accounting and taxes, and then someone hands you this big list of taxes and say, hey, we need to really figure out our taxes. Can you do this? And you're like, oh, like that could be pretty daunting. Well, except that we have like TurboTax now and stuff like that. But let's pretend that we didn't for the sake of my analogy. A lot of them just, they don't even know how or where to start. Being really patient with that process. And then they need to do that research and figure out who can help them with the process. But you absolutely have every right to a full disclosure. And Vicki Tidwell Palmer, she actually said, as a partner, 
you have a right to request a full therapeutic disclosure. You also have a right not to receive a disclosure if you don't want one. If you've been wanting a disclosure for some time and the sex addict has been unwilling or has repeatedly stalled in following through, it is completely reasonable for you to request to join him at his next individual session with his therapist to discuss your request and ask any questions that you may have. So there you go. You have permission and it is completely reasonable to ask for that. If the formal therapeutic disclosure is not for you or if it's not the way you did it, that's okay. That's okay. All of our paths look completely different. So it's not something that's fun. It's not something that's enjoyable. It's not a magic pill that's going to fix your marriage, but it is a very helpful tool in um, healing the marriage. So for you, choose for yourself, pray for yourself, make decisions for your recovery, and just keep moving forward one day at a time, whatever that looks like. Thank you for listening today. We hope you have enjoyed this bonus episode. The audio you have just listened to is a free class taught in the Worth program by our Worth members. These classes are just one of the amazing services Worth has to offer. You can join us next week for one of our regular episodes. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org to enroll in a therapist-led support group or to check out our blog. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or wherever you may listen, or simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode because you are worth it.